we would have these qualities, still storms and issues and trials are going to come up. That's just a fact of life. They are going to come up. And so there's three points we're going to look at. First of all, alarmed. Second Kings chapter 20, we read where the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, they made war against Jehoshaphat and Judah. And there was men that came and they told Jehoshaphat, a large army is coming against you. They're already in En Gedi and they're coming against you. And Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat feared. The New King James Version says feared. The NIV translation says alarmed. But Jehoshaphat was faced with the greatest crises of his life. It seemed like an impossible situation. He's under attack. He's greatly, greatly outnumbered. A vast army is coming against him. He's alarmed. And today we find that people are alarmed. People today are alarmed about the country, our country, the debt of our country. It can't go on. The violence in our country, the, in the schools, on the streets, in the neighborhoods, in the workplace, shootings, abductions, and assaults and killings. We find the drug epidemic, fentanyl, opioids, and others. The statistics are staggering. And the sin in our country, more blatant and open than ever. The secularism in our country. Godlessness in education, in government, in society. And then we find that people are alarmed about not only our country, but people are alarmed about personal concerns. It might be finances running out. It might be escalating prices Maybe food prices, health care costs, gas prices, interest rates. Or it's health concerns. Maybe something isn't right. Or maybe it could be something where they're alarmed about a family situation. Maybe their children, grandchildren, parents. It's been said often family situations are harder to handle than personal ones. The point is Jehoshaphat was alarmed. He faced a seemingly impossible situation and maybe some of us are even there this evening, or we've been there. We face the situation, and we don't know what to do. Alarmed and facing and seemingly impossible situation. It's bigger than you are, and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? Ever been there? No options, seemingly no solutions. It's bigger than you are, and you have no idea what to do. Let me just tell you one incident that happened in our life. It happened when we were in our first pastorate in Minnesota. And the church had grown. It was probably in about our third or fourth year there. The church had grown and, and gotten considerably larger and couldn't fit in the building anymore. And so we had to knock out a wall and we made the building bigger so everybody could fit into the building. So we had just finished an expansion program. And we found out that not only was... Uh, that costly to us, but then most of the people of the church were farmers or in the farming business somehow. It was dairy farming country. And you have to remember that in the early 80s, there was a period of time when milk prices, they just kind of tanked. And so we, we built that addition to the church and things were rolling along fine. We had plenty of money, plenty of finances and everything is rolling along. The church is growing and in fact, we, we lived in an apartment that was attached to the church building. It was kind of a convenient arrangement in a way. You open up the living room door, you're in the sanctuary. 
You open the door the other way, you're in the living room. And living room, kitchen, and three bedrooms. And we lived in that apartment. But then as the church grew, we needed that space. And so we had to move out of that apartment and buy a house across town. And people today think, well, it's terrible that interest rates are 7.5%. When we bought a house then, it was 14.5%. So 75 that's nothing. We had to buy a house when it was 14%. But the point was that the milk prices tanked. And farmers were taking advances on their milk checks. And it was not a good time, and the, the resources of the church had diminished, the reserves had diminished, and, and it got to the point where it wasn't fun on a Monday morning at all, because on Monday morning you're shuffling the bills around trying to figure out, okay, what bill are we going to pay now, and who can wait a little while? We were shuffling the bills around on a Monday morning. And then it became annual business meeting time, and it got to the point where we had to put the bills that were still outstanding we had the bills and we put one bill at a time on the overhead projector. Remember the overhead projectors, you know, before PowerPoints? And uh, we put the electric bill on the overhead projector and they showed it on the screen and somebody in the in membership would raise their hand, I'll do the electric bill. Somebody else would put the next bill, I'll do the gas bill, I'll do the water bill. You know, and that's how we went. It was not a fun time to be pastoring New York Mills Assembly of God at that time. And, and, we needed a breakthrough. We were facing a situation that we did not know what to do. We, we couldn't manufacture more money. We couldn't print it. We, couldn't, we, we didn't know what to do. And all we could do was pray and ask God for a breakthrough. We needed a breakthrough. And maybe you're not there with your finances, but it could be something else in your life where you need a breakthrough of some kind in some situation we needed a breakthrough. And so then we come to the second point this evening, seek God. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. He was afraid. He had no idea what to do. And so Jehoshaphat, he began to seek God. And this is what it said, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. He began to seek God. He prayed. He fasted. He asked others to pray, to fast. He confessed his helplessness. And he said, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, our text, For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you. No power to face this. Don't know what to do but our eyes are upon you. And maybe you can relate to that this evening. You've got no power to face whatever it is. It's bigger than you are. You don't know what to do. You have no idea what to do. But like Jehoshaphat, we'd say, but our eyes are upon you. God, our eyes are upon you. And Jehoshaphat prays to God. Now Jehoshaphat, he based his prayer and his confidence in God on three great truths about God and we can too. First of all, that God has power over all people and situations. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. Let me read it for you. It should be on the screen. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand 
Is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? He was basing his confidence on the fact that God has power over all people and situations. He is God. Whatever the problem is, he's bigger than that problem. Whatever the problem is, he's smarter than that problem. Somebody said it this way, he is large and he is in charge. He is large and he is in charge. Bigger than any problem, smarter than any problem. That's what Jehoshaphat was basing his confidence in. And then secondly, that God has been faithful to his people in the past and will be in the present. Let me read verses 7 to 9 now. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save." That God has been faithful to his people in the past and they will be faithful to his people in the present. We can look back. And that's one of the advantages that people who have served the Lord for a long time have because they can look back at all the times that God has worked and what God has done in their lives. And God who did it back then, he can still do it today. And that's, that's just a huge advantage that people that have served the Lord for a long time have. Somebody said it this way, unbelief is ingratitude for what God has done. It's forgetting how God has worked in the past, not realizing that what God has done in the past, he can do it now. God has been faithful in the past and he will be in the present. And then the third thing was that God's people are helpless without him. Verse number 12, again, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. He admitted the fact that we have no power against this great multitude. That we are helpless without him. And we need his help. We need his help. And remember that old song, I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour. Great words, great truth to that song. But Jehoshaphat began to seek God with confidence. God has power over all situations. And God has been faithful to his people in the past. And they, he will be faithful to them in the present. And we too can be confident in the God that we serve. I've mentioned this before, I believe. But there's a book that was, I thought was just very well written. It was written by Beth Moore. And I'll never forget the, the time I was flicking through the television dial somewhere, television channels, and, and she was being interviewed. And the interviewer asked her a question about the book, and, and uh, Beth Moore then said, one day God spoke to me, and God said to me, you believe in me, but you don't believe me. You know, we can believe in him and not believe him. And that's where that book came from. And she had four main truths in that book, and they were these. We need to believe God is who God says he is. Number two, we need to believe we can do what God says we can do. Number three, we need to believe God can do 
what God says he can do. And we need to believe that we are who God says we are. We need to believe God. We need to believe God. Be confident with the realization that, yes, we are helpless without him. But God still has power over all people and situations. And God is still faithful. Elizabeth Elliot, she made this interesting quote. She said, true faith only goes into operation when there are no answers. True faith only goes into operation when there are no answers. And that's when we really experience true faith. Because oftentimes, our faith kind of hovers a little bit shy of that. It's like, okay, yeah, God, we're trusting you, but just in case you don't come through, we've got this plan, or we've got that plan. We, we've, got, we've got plan B, C, and D in case God doesn't come through. But the point is, she says, true faith only goes into operation when there are no answers. God's got to come through or we're sunk. God's got to come through. Our problems, somebody said, are opportunities to experience God's power. Our problems are opportunities to experience God's power. And I had never heard this, but the author of that quote made this statement. The word problem comes from a word meaning to propel forward. So our problems have the capabilities of propelling us forward. If nothing else, it propels us forward in our faith. When God answers the prayer, God meets the need, well, all of a sudden our faith has been propelled forward. We've got a greater confidence in God. But we find that in this case, Jehoshaphat, now he didn't know what to do, but he began to seek God began to seek God. Let me read Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. And this is what it says. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Did you catch the last phrase? It says... For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's powerful. Never. He's never forsaken those who seek him. Never. And he can't lie. And it says he has never forsaken those who seek him. Now, does he always answer it the way we thought he would? No. He's got his ways of answering it. But in the long run, we find out his way was better than our way anyway. But he has never, ever forsaken those who seek him. And so, back to our New York Mills, Minnesota story. We didn't have a whole lot of options. We're putting bills on the overhead projector to get the bills paid. And, and we, our reserves are gone. And the check, checks aren't coming in. The money's not flowing in. We had no other options except we began to pray and to fast and to seek God. There was no B, C, or D plan. And we just needed God. We desperately needed God. And so we began to pray. The church began to pray. We began to fast. The church began to fast. And, and granted, let me interject the fact that not everybody can fast. You know, some people have medications and they can't fast. You, you, miss, a deal and you miss a meal and you're going to be in deep trouble. You know, you, you have to have food along with your medication. So some people can't fast. Food, but they can fast other things. You know, they can fast uh, Facebook or they can fast television or they can fast uh, something else, you know. But the point is, we began to pray 
and we began to fast. We began to seek God. God, you've got to come through. God, you've got to come through. And so that's the point we were at. And then we come to our third point as Jehoshaphat, victory is the name of the point, and Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, they sought God. And God gave Jehaziel a message, a prophetic message for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. And prophetically he said to them, don't be afraid or discouraged because of this large army. The battle is not yours, but God's. And God gave them a promise. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 15. And the Bible says, And he said, Listen, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. God's promises are a sure foundation for faith. And he goes on to tell them, take your positions, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out and face them. The Lord will be with you. And so then the Bible says when Jehoshaphat heard this, he worshipped God. Let me read a couple of verses here. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go against them, for the Lord is with you. And then he continues to say, And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Gohathites and of the children of the Gorathites stood up to praise the Lord, Lord God of Israel, with voices loud and high. When Jehoshaphat heard this, he worshipped God. And the next morning, the army left to face the enemy. And Jehoshaphat said, Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And then Jehoshaphat, he appointed singers to go ahead of the army, praising God. Would have been interesting to be a part of that worship team. (laughs) Okay, there's the army. Now worship team, you go in front of the army and you lead them. But there's an important point there and it relates to the message we preached on Sunday. How important worship is. Worship was a priority. Worship was so important that the worshipers went before the army. They went ahead of the army. And remember, when we worship, that's when God comes down. Even in our circles, as we worship, well, that's when the presence of God comes down. And that's why we need to be worshipers. And so Jehoshaphat appointed the singers to go ahead of the army, praising God. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. So they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, 
And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Israel. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who would praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. They went out ahead and in front of the army, showing the priority of worship and how important it is for us to be worshipers. And then God did an incredible thing. The Bible says the enemy began to fight each other. The enemy, they began to fight each other. And they killed each other. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. Now when they had begun to sing and praise the Lord... The Lord sent ambushes. I like the King James Version. It says he sent ambushments. He sent ambushments against the enemy. I I don't know exactly how God did it, but the enemy started fighting against each other. And the Lord had sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who came against Judah, and they were defeated for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah looked out over where the enemy was, all they saw were dead bodies. All they saw were dead bodies. No one had escaped. Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah, they carried away the plunder. In fact, there was so much plunder that it took them three days to carry away all the plunder that they gathered. God gave them victory. And it was even greater than they could have imagined. You know, there's a verse in the book of Ephesians who tells us that our God, He can work and does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we even ask. All they wanted was victory. They just wanted victory over the enemy. Well, they not only got victory, but they also got all the booty and all the things that the enemy had, all the rewards. And so God did even more than they could have expected and anticipated. Three things now apply for us today. Number one, victory came when they began to praise and worship God. And it's the same in our lives too. We need to be people who praise and worship God. Was the enemy still there? Yes. Were they still afraid? Yes. But they began to worship God for who he is and victory came when they began to worship God. We need to worship God regardless of our feelings, regardless of our circumstances. Remember the message on Sunday morning, worship God regardless of our circumstances regardless of our personality, regardless of our outcome, that we are just going to worship God. We just determine we're going to worship God. We don't know how it's going to end up. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to worship God. We don't have an answer, but He does. We don't know, but He does. And we're just going to worship God. He is worthy of our worship. And victory will come. In God's way, in God's time, victory will come. Now, Our timetable is not the same as his timetable. Our method may not always be the same as his method. There was a story I was going to tell on Sunday morning, but I didn't get to it, so I'll I'll tell the story now because it illustrates uh, how this all ties into not our timing, not not our way of working, and, and all of that. 
And it's a story of people have asked me, we noticed that you've got another car. And yes, we do have another car. But let me tell you how we ended up with that car. And lest you would think, well, evangelists never have problems. You know, they don't, they don't have problems. You know, just life kind of rolls along. You, know, you just roll along from church to church. No problems, no problems. You, you know, you just kind of just roll along. And then, you know, you have this special spot in, in God's favor where you don't have any problems. But let me tell you what happened and how we ended up with that car. What happened was we had been preaching in Oskaloosa, Iowa... And we were driving home from Oskaloosa, Iowa to southern Wisconsin. And we almost got home. And the car blew a head gasket. That nice car we had, it blew a head gasket. Now, I don't want to go into technical details here. But if you blow a head gasket, that's not a good thing to have happen to a car. Okay? And it's not, one of, it's not like changing a tire. Okay? It's, it's a major problem. And when you blow a head gasket, it usually messes up other things in the engine, which it had done. And so rather than invest more money into that car, then we thought we're going to need to get another car. And we had always wanted, we had three cars that we always picked from. Either it was going to be a Buick LaCrosse, uh, a Chevrolet Impala, or it'd be a Toyota Camry. Well, we couldn't find a Camry before, so we got the Impala. Well, that's the one that blew the head gasket now. So now we, we talked to a guy in our area who sells cars. He's a believer, born-again believer, and follower of Christ, and pastors had recommended him, and missionaries and evangelists. And, and so we told them, we need to get a car. And we've got some parameters, some conditions to getting that car. Number one, it's got to be a Toyota Camry. Number two, it's got to have less than 75,000 miles. And number three, we've got to be able to afford it. And then, by the way, the other thing is, it has to, we have to have it by Christmas. And so he said, that, that's a pretty small window and a lot of parameters there, but we'll start looking. So they started looking, and they looked, and uh, they looked through the month of September. We didn't hear from them. They looked through the month of October. We didn't hear from them. In the meantime, you have to understand that our schedule was filled every single week, going from one church to another church to another church. And, and I've got a round town car that I used, and we should use that for the short trips. But then when we had a longer trip, we'd have to rent a car if we're going to preach near Detroit or near Fargo or some of the longer trips, and so we'd rent a car. And uh, usually we rented a Toyota Camry if we could, and, and we figured we'd get used to a Toyota Camry. But then we had a few other oddball kind of cars and vehicles, and we had one car that had no shifter even. It had a little round dial that you had to turn this dial to find the gear. And I mean, it took a little while to get used to that one. But, but the point was that uh, we went through September, didn't hear from them. Went through October, we didn't hear from them. Now we're in November, we still haven't heard from them. So finally I called and asked... Uh, uh, what's, uh, are we still looking, you know, are, where, where, what's the deal? And he said, well, we're, we're still looking, we're still looking. And so now we're into December. And about a week before Christmas, he calls and he says, we found a car that meets the conditions. The only problem is it's in Florida. We've got to get it up to Wisconsin. And so they went to work on getting it to Wisconsin. They got it up to Wisconsin and on the Saturday before Christmas, we were sitting in the office signing the papers and buying the car. That was December the 23rd. On December the 26th, we were going to be leaving to come to Florida. 
Now, that's cutting it kind of close. That's cutting it very close. But God had his timetable. We got the car, and we're off and running once again. But the point simply is this, that victory comes as we seek him. Victory comes. It's not always in our timing. If it would have been my timing, we would have had the car in October. But uh, it didn't happen in my timing. happens in God's timing. Second of all, they had to stand firm. We need to stand firm on the promises of God. We need to stand firm on what he has said. We need to stand firm on who he is. I'm reminded of the story that's told of the missionary, Gladys Alward. She was a missionary to China more than 50 years ago, forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yangsheng. With only one assistant, she led a hundred orphans over the mountains towards free China. During the journey, she she grappled with fear. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old orphan girl in the group reminded her of the much-loved story of Moses and the Red Sea. Gladys sighed in despair and she said, But I'm not Moses. And the girl replied, Of course you're not, but God is still God. God is still God. God is still God. And they made it over the mountains, and it's a great, great testimony. God is still God. He's still God. And then number three, God gave the victory. Sometimes God removes the enemy. Sometimes God removes the problem. Sometimes God gives us the strength to go through it. But either way, God gives us the victory. Let me quickly go back now to the New York Mill story. We were praying, we were fasting, and we needed to have an answer. The bills didn't stop coming. There was no, no, no magic formula. The bills didn't stop coming. But one, one night I got a call from one of the deacons of the church, and he said, Pastor, can I come over? I've got something to tell you. And so the deacon came over to the parsonage, the house that we had bought, the one we bought for 14.6% interest. And we, we went, he came to the house and, and the pastor, and, and he said to me, Pastor, Leroy just came by. Leroy was a trucker from our church. He ran, drove a truck over the road and truck driver. And he said, Leroy just came over. And Leroy said, I've been behind on my tithe. I thought I'd get caught up. And he had a wad of money, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he had 20s and 50s and probably 100s. And I don't know how long Leroy had been stashing his tithe, but uh, something got a hold of his heart. And Leroy, he, Leroy got us caught up almost by himself. I mean, he had a wad of money. And so Leroy helped us. And then more new people came into the church. And, and the need was met. And at the same time, there, there was a a program called Head Start. Maybe Florida has a Head Start program too uh, for, for young kids. And, and uh, they needed a place to rent and they came and asked us if they could rent the church building. And, and we said, sure. And they said, we'll install all the fire extinguishers and all the alarms. And we got that all done for free. And so God did a miracle. God did a miracle. And he still does miracles, not only for churches, but in individual lives. That's the kind of God we serve. In closing this, mo- this evening, one day Martin Luther was very discouraged. Martin Luther, the great preacher from years gone by. Martin Luther was discouraged. and one, one morning his wife came to the breakfast table and she was dressed in her funeral attire. She had on her black hat and black dress and 
all the dark black clothing that she usually wore to a funeral. And Martin Luther was thinking, who do we know that has died? And he couldn't think of anybody who had died. And so finally he asked his wife and he said, who died? And she said, I thought God did by the way you've been acting. Sometimes we act as if God has died. He's still alive, and he's still on the loose, and he's still working. Dr. Bradford said it this way. He used to be our assistant uh, secretary, treasurer of the Assemblies of God, or or he was the secretary treasurer of the Assemblies of God, now pastor of Central Assembly in Springfield. But he said, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, but sometimes we've diminished him to a domesticated house cat. He's the Lion of Judah, and we've, dimi- we've diminished him to a domesticated house cat. So the next time we see one of these house cats running around the grounds here, remember, we, we serve the Lion of Judah. We don't serve a domestic house cat. You know, great object lesson. You know, every time we see one of those cats now, remember, we serve the Lion of Judah, not one of these cats, but we serve a Lion of Judah. Jesus is alive. Jesus is real, and he's on the loose. He's there to work where he's invited. Yes, there's going to be storms. Doesn't matter who we are, how much we seek him, how much we love him, we're still going to face storms in our life. But let's put our eyes upon God. We're going to put our eyes upon him because he's got an answer. He's got a solution. He can work in our lives. And seek. the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added unto you. Make him the priority. We're going to seek him. We're going to worship him. Let me illustrate it in this way. I don't remember if I've ever used this here before. But I've got a button-down shirt here beneath this tie. And there's a secret to a button-down shirt. And this is the secret to wearing a button-down shirt. And that is if you get the first button right all the other ones are going to line up. You get the first one right, the other ones are all going to line up. We put God first, and all the other things are going to line up. I used this illustration a few weeks ago at a church, and I had an elderly gentleman come up to me, and he says, you know, that's a great illustration, makes a lot of sense, he said, But he said, this morning, when I tried to put my button-down shirt on, I couldn't see the top button. He said, so, he said, I started at the bottom, and I went up from the bottom. And that works, too. It doesn't matter if you start at the bottom or you start at the top, but if you get the first one right, the rest of them are going to fall into place. We serve God, we get that part right, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things are going to fall into place. Let me now just finish with a story back to the disciples now. We find that as the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water towards them, and they realized that it was him. You know the story. Peter said, Lord, invite me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come, come. And Peter hopped out the boat and he started walking on the water. And then the Bible says when he saw the wind was boisterous, he started to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. He started to sink when he focused on what he saw. And that was the storm. He started to sink when he focused on what he felt. And that is the wind. 
You and I, we too, will begin to sink when we focus on what we see and on what we feel. In the storm, the issue is, where are we going to look? Where are we going to look? Let's choose that in the storm, we're going to look to him. We're going to look to him. We can't choose whether storms will come or not. Storms are going to come. But we can choose where we're going to look. Let's look to him. Let's be like Jehoshaphat who said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We're going to seek him. We're going to seek him. One final thought, and that deals with the subject of of worship. You know, it deals with where we're going to put our eyes. And we need to be people who put our eyes on him and worship him. The issue is, where are we going to put our eyes? People can always find something to worship about, worship about if they're looking to God. But also, people can find something to complain about. Somebody said it this way. It's a very blunt statement, so kind of brace yourself. They said, there's only two kind of people in the church. There's worshipers and complainers. Worshipers will find God at work. All the time. They'll always find God at work somewhere doing something. They'll always find God doing something. Complainers, it doesn't matter what's going on, they'll always find something to complain about. Now, I know there's no complainers at Pleasant Grove Assembly, but if you you can pass that information on to others, that there's always something to complain about if we're looking for something clean. But let's not be complainers. We're going to be worshipers. We're going to just worship God. And as we worship God, we invite his presence to come down. And we invite him to work in our lives, work in our circumstances. And then let's see what God is going to do. Let's see what God is going to do. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Beth, if you'll come to the keyboard, please. Father, tonight we thank you and praise you for the time we've had to be together. Father, we trust that the things that we have shared together tonight will be inspiring, will be faith-building and encouraging. Father, you know situations and circumstances that would even be in this room this evening. And Father, we pray that you will just minister by your Holy Spirit, Father, in these closing moments, doing things that only you can do, Father, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, not only in this service, but we just want to make it a lifestyle that we're going to look for things to worship God about. We're going to be worshipers. We're going to seek God. We're going to put the first button right, get the first button right so everything else falls into place. Father, just help us to be people who continually, regularly turn our eyes upon Jesus. And Father, we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name.